So, we get the privilege of diving into part three of our Community 101 series. Actually, I think this is going to be the last, uh, the last segment of this series, and hopefully you've been enjoying it. What we, what we were looking at last week specifically is we were looking at habits. Habits that the Acts 2 church experienced, not just on the day of Pentecost, but beyond that. Because, you know, sometimes we think of Acts chapter 2 as just that day of Pentecost, and they had a great revival, but then what happened on an ongoing basis? The last part of that chapter, especially in chapter 2, verse 42 through 47, it shows us that they continued steadfastly in various dynamics, various habits, and they devoted themselves to it. The word that we discovered was that they, they continued steadfastly or prevailed with strength in certain habits. And the habits that we looked at uh, were the habits of being devoted to the apostles' doctrine and to prayer. This week we're looking at fellowship and the breaking of bread. Now, at the end of last week, we kind of gave this seven-day steadfast community challenge. I don't know how many of us were actually here last week for that, but I'm just going to ask a risky question. How many of you actually tried to be faithful to the seven-day steadfast community challenge? Yeah, we've got a hand here. Uh, 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 I've got a hand here. <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, okay. What, say it again. It was from last week, so that's okay. Yeah, you've, you've got an excuse, yeah. Anyways, um, if you didn't, the seven-day challenge was to actually connect with somebody every day of the week to devote yourself to sharing the Word together or to praying together. And I'll just uh, share from my personal experience, the person that I got to do that with is actually not a member here, but he was visiting here last week. And man, I was so blessed and edified by that. I don't know if you've ever had the chance to connect with someone on a deep, personal, real, spiritual level um, consistently. But if you haven't, I would encourage you to try it. Um, There's something about community that maybe we haven't experienced before. Um, Anyways, I'll just leave it at that, and hopefully the Holy Spirit will do the rest. All right, so this week, the devotion that we're looking to, uh, to, or the habits that we're looking at are to fellowship and to breaking of bread. Now, I'm going to ask you this. How many of you like to have friends? Yeah? Awesome. Okay, okay. Actually, the Eager Beavers this week, I get to lead the Eager Beavers and Adventurers, and the lesson was how to be a friend. (laughs) We actually looked at a book, a library book. uh, It was How to Be a Friend, A Couple of Dinosaurs, How to Be a Friend, um, and How Not to Be a Friend, things like that. Um, There was this one time where we... uh, we, we met a new neighbor who had just moved in. I think this was this past summer. And we met, uh, we saw them playing in the cul-de-sac, and so we just kind of walked on, sauntered on down with the kids and stuff. And immediately, this little girl, she comes up to Jenna about her size, about her height, and the very first thing, I think, that came out of her mouth was, will you be my friend? And you know, in that moment, I just realized, Whoa, how many of our interactions are... Uh, very casual and surface level, but deep down inside, what we're really wanting to ask is, will you be my friend? You know? I think all of us long for this. You know, and and the reality is that in our uh, culture, in our time, um, I think the the idea of a friend has um, kind of been confused, even a little bit watered down. Especially when you start saying, oh yeah, we're, we're friends on Facebook. 
you know, I just friended them, or he just friended me. You know, what, what does that mean, really? Um, yeah, you follow their newsfeed, and you, you see what they're... Yeah, anyways. Um, so there's, there's not, not a lot, not a lot that we... I guess we've lost touch with how to be a friend, how to have a friend, how to make a friend. Um, but I am convinced, as I've been studying this a little bit more, you know, over the last month or so, just this idea of community, I'm convinced that Jesus calls his disciples friends for a reason. You know, John chapter 15, right? I no longer call you servants, but I call you friends. That's the kind of relationship he wants with us, but I believe it's also the kind of relationship he wants us to have with one another. That's why he goes on to say, uh, greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. And then he says, love one another as I have loved you. He wants us to love each other as friends, to relate to each other as friends. And the reality is that, the sad reality is that we may be lifelong churchgoers and still feel like we're without real friendship. I don't know how many of us can resonate with that. Whatever the early believers experienced, however, was much, much more than just being at the same worship gathering. It was so much more. It involved habits that I believe forged genuine friendship. And so this morning, um, that's what we want to study. We want to take a look at Acts chapter 2 once again, maybe with um, looking at it again for the first time. Okay, so go with me to Acts chapter 2. Acts is uh, the fifth book of the New Testament. You got Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, then the Acts. Acts chapter 2. And we're going to start in verse 42. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. When you're there, go ahead and say, Amen. Alright, Acts chapter 2, verse 42. What were the habits that they devoted themselves to in order to forge genuine friendships? I want to just bow our head for prayer once again. Father in heaven, as we dive into your word, as we consider this, uh, this idea of community, a oneness that reflects the very love of the Godhead, a oneness that's sacrificial and giving and self-denying. Lord, I I just pray that you would open up our eyes to see not just a story from long ago, but open up our eyes to see how we can live out the Word today. I pray for community. Uh, Really, when we pray for community, we're just joining the prayer of Jesus. He prayed in John 17. And so, Lord... Just fulfill your will for us. Fulfill your desire that we would be one, even as the Father and the Son and the Spirit are one. We pray these things in Jesus' saving name with family say, Amen. Amen. I'm going to start in verse 40, actually, and then just we'll, we'll end up in verse 42. Acts chapter 2, verse 40, I'm starting... Um, I'm reading from the New King James. It says this, And with many other words, he, speaking of Peter, he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized. And that day, that was the day of Pentecost, 50 days after Jesus was crucified, that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And that's where that day stops. And in verse 42, it's beyond that day. What was life like beyond that day? And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. 
All right, they continued steadfastly. They had prevailing strength. They were intentional about putting energy into these specific habits. We looked at Apostles' Doctrine and Prayers, the bookends of those four habits last week. Today we're looking at fellowship and the breaking of bread. So, community habit number three. Okay, I, I did that on purpose because community habit one and two were last week. So, community habit number three they, that was devotion to fellowship. How many of you have ever heard the word fellowship? before. Yeah? Fellowship. Uh, and we use that word in different contexts. Maybe if you're a med st- medical student or y- you've gone from an internship or a residency to a fellowship or things like that. Or maybe you've heard it in a church context. Um, different, different dynamics, but really what it means, it, it comes from a word koinonia. Have you, I don't know if you've heard that before. That's a Greek word, koinonia, that simply means partnership, sharing. It's, that, it's the basis for having some sort of common relationship. All right? So it's, it's what is shared in common as the basis of fellowship, partnership, community, and participation together. So, does that help you understand what fellowship is? I'm, I'm not sure if it does for me just yet. So I need to explore this a little bit further. Fellowship koinonia is, ex- is essentially experiencing life together. Experiencing life together. In other words, participating in each other's joys and sorrows. It's participating in each other's victories and struggles. It's why part of our mission statement is to seek God and share life and serve the world. Um, There's a... There's a, a ministry magazine. I don't know how many of us have, have found that before. It's, it's something that is sent to every pastor in, uh, I, I believe, not just North America. I don't know, George, if you know this answer, but throughout the world. Okay, okay. North American Division. I I suppose so. Um, English. Yeah, anyways. Okay, so back in 2017... Um, a professor or a PhD lecturer in Uganda wrote this about life together. He says this. Let's see if we can find this. In the Christian world today, fellowship now usually refers to casual conversation, socializing, etc. The question, where do you fellowship, means where do you attend church? Stay after for fellowship usually means wait for refreshments. But real fellowship is how much? So much more than just showing up at services. Are you following the train of thought here? He's saying, no, 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 no. It's not just hanging out. It's not just chit-chat. It's not just talking about the, the weather and things like that. It is experiencing life together. Experiencing life together. And you just think about this. Who do you experience life with? Who do you experience life with? Obviously, we don't have the capacity, the emotional or relational capacity to experience life with everybody, right? We may experience life near lots of people or around lots of people, but the people that we experience life together with uh, may be a, a small inner circle, so to speak, a select few. Now, some of us have the personality to have many within that circle. I don't know, kind of like Lego blocks. Uh, there are different sizes of Lego blocks. And each, if you have a big Lego block, you've got lots of connectors. But then some of us are like the two-by-ones, you know, <laughs> or the, or the one-by-ones. No, I don't know. Anyways, but we have a, a, a certain capacity for relational connection. And that's totally fine personalities along the spectrum. But here's the thing. Jesus, no matter how large or small of a Lego block you are, Jesus calls us to be connected. Amen? Amen. 
Amen. Yeah, he, he doesn't just want us to be that random Lego block that just is like a landmine in your living room floor when you're trying to... Okay, that's just a young parent. <laughs> Anyways, yeah. So, fellowship, koinonia, it's about sharing life together. And the reality is that the early church here these now 120, now 3,000 that were continuing steadfastly, they had to use prevailing strength to be devoted to sharing life together. Why, why does it require such strength and effort and energy? It's risky. Ooh, it's risky. It is risky. Yeah, yeah. And I think that at some level... There's uh, past experiences where we've been hurt that, that, that speaks to us and says, says, hey, wait, 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 watch out. I'm not sure you want to do that. But then there's also just kind of a natural, inherent selfishness that makes it hard. Almost impossible, I would say. The reality is, we, uh, even though we say it's always better together, that's just not how we roll. Uh, I mean, you think about it. Sure, God did create us to be social creatures. He created us to live in community. That's why when Adam was naming all the the animals and he found that every animal had a pair except for him, (laughs) he realized that something was not right. But on the other side of Genesis chapter 3, you know, since the fall of humanity, actually right in Genesis chapter 3, you see that relational harmony totally busted up and exploded all over the place. Right? Ever since then, sin has moved us toward relational disconnect, distrust, and dysfunction as a default. The natural way that we live life, our natural rhythms, our natural tendencies, and we would even say the old self, you know, the natural person, the natural heart, it runs against the grain of koinonia. It runs against the grain of sharing life. Its natural tendency is towards sin and selfishness, which moves us towards isolation, silo-type living, disconnect, and focus on me, myself, and I. Yeah. I don't know, maybe you've said it before. That's none of your business. That may be true. (laughs) But but that that phrase, that, that idea is, I've got my business, you've got your business. You stay out. It speaks to this value of being on our own. And it requires prevailing strength to be real. Let's admit it. It requires prevailing energy and intentionality to be real and to participate in each other's lives with transparency. Yeah? With transparency. I think that's kind of the qualifier. With transparency. Because it might be easy to participate in each other's lives or with each other on a surface level, but, but being real, open, and honest, it does require prevailing strength. So my question today, uh, just when it comes to this idea of being devoted to fellowship, devoted to koinonia, is how do we, how do, we do that? How do we actually continue steadfastly in koinonia and sharing life, especially if it goes against the grain of our natural self-centeredness? And I would submit that if we really want to do this and engage new habits toward community, more than just the one or two of us, no, I'm kidding. Um, if we really want to engage new habits, it's going to require that something dies. It'll require that something dies. We, we read from Acts of the Apostles by Ellen White last week, and I'll, this is a, just a little bit further in the, on that same page. 
she says this, putting away all differences. She's talking about describing the upper room experience and what the 120 were experiencing those 10 days between Jesus' ascension and then the day of Pentecost. And she says this, putting away all differences, all desire for the supremacy, they came close together in Christian, what? Fellowship. They came close together in Christian fellowship. I mean, she's basically describing Acts chapter 1, verse 14. These all continued with one accord, right? She's describing this. So apparently fellowship was taking place before the day of Pentecost. Fellowship was something that the 3,000 joined into. They saw it modeled, and they wanted to experience it themselves. But just look at this. In order for them to join together or come close together in Christian fellowship, what had to happen first? Putting away of differences, desire for supremacy, or in other words, pride and selfishness. Yeah? Something has to die. Fellowship, which is togetherness, is a joining of lives that involves a disjoining from differences and pride and supremacy. Anything that would tend to separate I mean, I think that's why the original joining of man and woman in Genesis chapter 2, how does it say it? Um, For this reason, a, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one. In order for oneness to happen, there needs to be a leaving to happen. That's why in John 17, when Jesus is praying for oneness in verse 20 and 21, saying that, that they may be one in us, that they may be one as you and, the, and, and I are one. Before that, just a few verses earlier, he's actually that prayer for oneness is preceded by a prayer for sanctification. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. In other words, set them apart from things that would disrupt real community. And then he prays. Oneness. Do you follow that? In order to join, there needs to be a disjoining. In order to cleave, there needs to be a leaving. In order for us to experience true fellowship, something has to die. Oh, but that's just my personality. You know? Don't worry, I've said it myself. <laughs> and maybe that's true to some degree. I don't know how, how believable this is, um, but I put on a pretty good extroverted front. <laughs> Naturally, I, I am an introvert. I, I recharge uh, mostly when I'm by myself. Um, <clears throat> but I, I've learned to, to a distinction that being introverted does not give me an excuse to be indifferent. Yeah. Do you follow that? Being introverted does not give me an excuse to be indifferent, to care little or less or not at all about the others around me. Maybe, maybe we are. To some degree, um, we have difficulty with koinonia or fellowship. But I don't think our lack, or I don't think that gives us reason or excuse to have an absence of concern or a need for others. And maybe if we do feel a, a lack of concern or a lacking of others, needing others in our lives, maybe that's an indication, at least it has been for me, that something needs to die. And I think this is why, you know, Acts chapter 2, 42, being devoted to these things, is actually preceded by Acts chapter 2, verse 40. Go back in your Bibles there. Remember what the appeal was. In verse 40, and with many other words, Peter testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this 
My Bible says perverse generation. Does your Bible say anything different there? Corrupt? Crooked. Yeah. Something's just out of whack. Something's just not in line. Something's bent out of shape there. Being saved from this perverse or crooked generation, maybe, maybe this is part of the crookedness that needs to be straightened out and recovered in our lives. Friends, I just want to appeal to us. Let's be saved from our indifference toward one another. Let's be saved from the assumptions that says, oh, they'll be fine. I'll just stick with my business. (laughs) Let's be saved from our lack of transparency. Let's be saved from our relational dysfunction and our, our, our inability to trust. Let's be saved from that. Let's be devoted to fellowship. Let's be devoted to fellowship. So that's, that's community habit number three. Oh man, and I just realized that I have a mis- mistyping here. This is supposed to say community habit number four. Oh, disregard that. Community habit number four. You guys ready? So we, we looked at devotion to fellowship, koinonia, sharing life together. And really this is kind of a, a you might see this as a, a, just like an application of being devoted to fellowship, but this is, I think, another habit. And that's being devoted to breaking bread. Can I get an amen? Yeah? <laughs> I'm like, why do we have potluck just once a month now? Okay, so let's talk about this. Let's talk about this. Being devoted to breaking bread. Now, this is more than just breaking bread at a communion service. Um, Breaking bread, the idea, the phrase, it appears maybe eight or nine times throughout the New Testament. And several of those times are not just in the upper room. Breaking bread happens on the hillsides with the, the multitudes who, you know, there's five loaves and two fish and Jesus breaks the bread for them. He takes the bread, he breaks the bread, he gives thanks and he blesses it. Um, all these kinds of things. So this really is talking about a, a habit of sharing food. Amen. This is the habit of sharing meals together. Together. Think about it. There's no need to break bread if I'm eating by myself. Bread breaking happens because there's someone else to give the bread to. Yeah? This is talking about shared meals. They weren't devoted. The early believers weren't devoted just to having bread or just to breaking bread, but I'm sorry, baking bread. <laughs> but to the breaking of bread, to sharing food together with one another. And I think there's a couple of different implications about this. I'll, I'll look at two. Two significant implications or two significant dynamics behind this or at play when we're talking about being devoted to breaking bread. Significant implication number one. Meals together communicate acceptance of one another. Meals together means acceptance. I don't know if this is a, a kind of going to raise your blood pressure, but you think back to high school or middle school, uh, that cafeteria experience of getting your food and then looking out. Oh man, where am I going to sit? Um, we didn't have a cafeteria really in our, in our academy experience, but I remember being a task force worker. I was an academy chaplain for a day academy up in Lodi, California. And I remember just, wait a minute, this is my first time in a cafeteria. <laughs> I, I got my tray and I, it was my first week there. I'm still like, I'm, people call me Mr. Miranda and I don't even know who I am anymore. And I'm, I'm just like, oh, and I start walking out. And I just stay close to the line. <laughs> and I just look. So when we're talking about who we share meals together, these are people that we embrace. Yeah? 
that whole high school, middle school experience, cafeteria experience, whatever, I mean, that just kind of speaks to the fact that sometimes we don't know who we're embraced by. And when we don't, we don't know where to eat. Okay? So when we know where to eat, then we know who we're welcomed into. Ah, that's, that's huge. They're eating together. Look it down uh, later on in the chapter here. Chapter 2, verse 46, it talks about this whole eating together dynamic. So, continuing daily with one accord in the temple. So, there was a continuance of worship, you know, the, the vertical habits of relationship. And then, breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with what? With shirachasas? No, maybe, I don't know. It says that they ate their food with gladness. And, and sriracha, okay. <laughs> they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. And we'll get to that in just a moment. But think about this. They ate their food gladly. Why? Because it was such an awesome menu? Maybe. But it was probably because of who they were eating with and the relational implications of it. They were glad because they knew that they were welcomed. I want you to notice where these meals took place too. Did you see it in verse 46? Breaking bread from... House to house? Yeah. Breaking bread from house to house. Think about it. Think about the last time you were, <clears throat> you were invited to someone's house uh, kind of for the first time. And you're like, oh, they just invited me over. <laughs> Wasn't there just kind of a little bit of a raising of your shoulders? And, oh, man, I get to go over there. You know, uh, or, um, when we open up our homes, really, we're opening up our hearts to each other. Going from house to house, and it wasn't just one person's house, it was house to house. In other words, there was a mutuality there. There was a, a, just open doors. My neighbor was telling me, he grew up in Minnesota, and he was telling me that, uh, yeah, you know, we would just kind of, like, we never locked our front door. Whoever wanted to come in could come in. Even the milkman came in. He just brought our milk right into the refrigerator, all these kinds of things. But when we open up our hearts, we're saying, hey, I'm open to you, and you're open to me. They went from house to house. When we open up our homes, we open up our hearts. It was a concrete expression of radical welcome. Radical welcome. Did you notice also, not just where they had these meals, but how they had these meals? I mean, we already looked at it. They ate their food with uh, gladness. But what else did they eat their food with? What does yours say? Pure hearts. Awesome. Mine says simplicity of hearts. The word in the Greek actually is talking about a heart that is without rocks. A heart that is without rocks. In an agrarian society, fields that are without rocks can grow stuff. Fields that are with rocks can't grow stuff. Hearts that are without rocks can grow trust. Hearts that are full of rocks keep people at arm's length. They were able to share their meals together because they knew that the hearts that they were engaging with didn't have rocks to throw at them. There were, there were barriers and obstacles that may be uh, in other relationships, but when it came to this community, they could eat together with simplicity of heart. It was beautiful. It was beautiful. The rocks, the rocks that we have in our hearts, I don't know what they might be, whether roots of bitterness, jealousy, suspicion, ill will, past hurts, negative assumptions about each other. Rocks make it hard to grow trust and intimacy. Rocks make others walk on eggshells, having to tread lightly for fear of offending. 
or having rocks to throw at them. <clears throat> but these individuals, this community, they ate their food with simplicity of heart, without rocks. I think that's beautiful. That's beautiful. So yeah, I mean, there, there's d- dynamics here. The dynamic of meals communicating acceptance, radical welcome. But the other dynamic that I want to highlight here is that their devotion to breaking bread, it, it communicated also another dynamic. Meals shared communicate welcome, but they also communicate sacrifice. You know what I mean? They also communicate sacrifice. Just earlier this week, we had an awesome... Uh, meal that mommy prepared for us. Tofu lasagna with some garlic bread. Yeah! (laughs) And um, as we were sopping up our spaghetti or our lasagna sauce and stuff with the bread, there was only one more piece left. And Jenna was eager, eager to get to it. And so was Jacob. (laughs) And there had to be a breaking of bread. And in that context, that breaking of bread required giving. It required sacrifice. When these individuals got together from house to house to break bread, it's not like they had bread growing on trees. They had to give to do it. But there was a willingness to, because probably because there was a confidence that more would come. Yeah? And like the five loaves and two fishes, Jesus kept breaking it. He just kept breaking it because there was a confidence, a faith in God that more would come. So breaking bread, yes, it communicates welcome, but it also requires sacrifice. It requires prevailing strength to be devoted to sharing bread, to be devoted to saying, what's mine really is yours too. How could they do this? It came from maybe this this confidence that God would continue to supply, confident that there would be more where that came from, even though the supply may not have been readily apparent. It's hard to do when we're unaware or we're unsure where the next one is coming from, but when we know the God who provides for all of our needs, we're able. We're able to share and sacrifice. Sharing of bread, really, it was a small snippet or a small, a specific manifestation of a larger dynamic that was going on in this community's heart. It was a, it was a recognition that this, this community, they were willing to share in all things material. We've kind of glossed over the verses, but I'll, let's just read them here. In verse 44 and 45, Now all who believed were together and had all things in common, and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. You see, their sharing of bread was really just a small example of their sharing, or their willingness to share all things. They had the habit of sharing resources, the habit of practically supporting. They had the habit of being aware. Hey, you need this? Well, let me help. Sometimes we kind of close our eyes and ears to each other's needs because we're not quite sure how to help. But what if God were to open up our eyes and ears and in doing so, He opens up the ability to help? That's something I'm preaching to myself. They were devoted to sharing life in practical ways, in generosity and giving. That was their mode of operation. They were attentive to each other's needs, open-handed towards each other's needs. It was beautiful. And it requires prevailing strength. Let's admit it. It requires prevailing strength to see my things as really God's things. 
And then it requires prevailing strength to see my things as really our things. And I think that's why Jesus taught us to pray the way He taught us to. Give us this day our daily bread. Did you notice that? It's, it's first person plural. It's us. We're in this together. And this is what the community was living out. They were devoted to they were devoted to fellowship. They were devoted to sharing or breaking of bread. The results of engaging these habits, one, two, three, and four, let's see, apostles, doctrine, and prayer, to fellowship and to breaking bread. The, the results of all this, notice in verse 43, uh, this is something that I, I was wondering if this is kind of the, the climactic, central pivot point of the whole passage. Then fear came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. I think other versions say, And awe came upon every soul. In other words, if we're looking at the results of engaging these types of habits, result number one is this great sense of awe. (laughs) This great anticipation that God is in the midst of this. That God is constantly going to step in. That He's doing above and beyond anything that they could ever possibly imagine. This is a community that as they were focused on one another, they were constantly aware that God was going to do something more. God was going to do something bigger. God was going to do something great. And this sense of anticipation, I think, is an attitude that, yeah, it's a, it's a byproduct of engaging these habits, but I think it's still an attitude that we can choose. It's an attitude that as a community of faith, we can choose, even though we're not quite seeing ripple effects of great dramatic things happening in or around us, but the reality is we are. Carla has already shared testimony of the way that God is using our prayers, our united prayers to do so. Maybe you've experienced that on your own. But the reality is that this community had an attitude of expectation. Healthy expectation, let's say that. Not a presumptive expectation. A sense of anticipation that God would do great things in their church. And that kind of attitude, when you are a part of a family that says, wow, God is doing something, or God is going to do something, that generates a real sense of momentum. Yeah, It's a dynamic of our faith in God that spills over into faith, not so much in ourselves, but for ourselves on behalf of God. So that's one of the results, verse 43, the sense of awe. But also at the end of the chapter, here's another result. Verse 47, Praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. So the result of awe, yes, that's an awesome attitude to adopt. But also the result of addition. (laughs) Later on in the book of Acts, it becomes multiplication. I don't know if you follow that narrative. But adding becomes multiplying. The result of this kind of community is essentially that they are effective in casting nets because they've been intentional in mending nets. Amen. And we looked at this quote back in January, but I wanted to take a look at it again. If all would reveal the unity and love that should exist among brethren, the power of the Holy Spirit would be manifest in its saving influence. Just sink your teeth into that again. If all would reveal the unity and love that should exist among brethren, the power of the Holy Spirit would be manifest in its saving influence. If you're feeling, man, where is the power of the Holy Spirit in its saving influence? Maybe you should be asking, where is the unity and love amongst the brethren? Where, how am I generating the unity and love amongst the brethren? Again, this is not by might nor by power, but it's by God's Spirit alone, right? And the rest of it says this, in proportion to our unity 
with Christ. Why? Why with Christ? We were just talking about unity amongst the brethren. Well, because unity amongst the brethren only happens as we're united with Christ. Yeah? In proportion to our unity with Christ will be our power to save souls. Friends, I want that quotient to go up. (laughs) I want our unity with Jesus and our unity with one another to, to, to be real and dynamic, all because I believe that God wants to save souls. I long for that. I long for us to be effective in casting our nets as long as we're intentional about mending our nets. Amen? Yeah, amen. So community habits that we've looked at today, devotion to fellowship, to breaking of bread. How are we going to put this into practice? How many invitations to lunch am I going to get today? I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. You've already got one. Yeah, right. I want to I suggest a couple of things. Maybe the Holy Spirit is already kind of just like putting uh, situations or dynamics or even tendencies in your heart that, that need to be surrendered to Him. Maybe, maybe that's already happening in your heart. I'm going to suggest a couple of things. When it comes to being devoted to fellowship, I want to give you another challenge. I'm not going to say a seven-day challenge or whatever, because we all know how successful that was. I'm just kidding. Okay, I'll stop that. I'll stop that. All right, all right, all right. Here we go. Here's a challenge. Each day. I'm going to... Yeah. Well, let's, let's, should we say each day? Okay. <laughs> At least five times this week. <laughs> Find someone to ask, How are you doing Really? I think that would put the fellowship into practice a little bit. Just getting beyond the the surface level. Or maybe it's not finding someone to ask that, but being willing to answer in that way. Being willing to answer in that way. Maybe they didn't ask, how are you doing, really? And maybe it's not your place or the time or context to actually unload on them. But be willing to be you. I wonder if that might move the scale forward a little bit in being devoted to fellowship. How about being devoted to breaking of bread? I mean, we, we do this 21 times a week. We, we eat meals at least, hopefully, hopefully 21 times a week. But what if one of those meals this week, one of that 21, was actually shared with someone else? I love the fact that Sabbath slows things down long enough for, for families to do that. But, you know, it doesn't have to be Sabbath. It doesn't have to be. And it doesn't have to be elaborate. It doesn't have to be impressive. It doesn't have to be setting out the china. What if, what if we opened up our home once this week to share a meal with someone, to communicate radical welcome, and to practice personal sacrifice? What if? I think the disciples in, early, in the early church experienced that what if. And they saw the effects of it. They experienced the awe of God working in them and through them. They experienced God adding to their church daily, such as should be saved. So, I'm just going to leave it out there. You don't have to get very specific with me right now, but how many of you would be willing to put into practice one of those two things? Devotion to fellowship, devotion to breaking of bread this week. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, God, we recognize that these habits aren't just like, you know, nice things to think about. They are expressions of being surrendered to you. 
They're expressions of a community that said, you know what, I want to be saved from this perverse generation. I want Jesus to be my Lord and Savior. And this is how they expressed it. This is how they lived it out. And Lord, I'm not so much praying for the habits. I'm just praying that you would save us. That you would save us from this crooked generation. That you would save us from the things that, that make uh, be more part of the problem and less part of the solution. That you would redeem us. That the gospel of Jesus Christ would make us new creatures today. And as we individually become new creations in Christ, that we would experience a new humanity. That we would experience a new kind of community. Lord, we thank you. And we praise you for your faithfulness to save. In Jesus precious and beautiful name. Let everyone say, Amen.